Welcome, everyone. This is Illiterate. This week, we are covering the Batman. My name is Evan Scott Russell. I checked out Batman, the 1966 film, because I'd never seen that before. My name is Taylor Zablowski, and somehow I ended up looking at World War II propaganda films. (laughs) How did that happen? Let's talk about it. (laughs) Much in the style of our James Bond series, Mm -hmm. this is part one of Batman, and we are going to trace what in the world this character has been and what he's supposed to be and what he might go on to be uh, over the course of two episodes. So welcome, everyone. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, the big question, why so much variety across the years? Did (laughs) nobody have a vision for it? How did all this come to be? Where are all the disparate pieces? Evan was telling me, it's like, if you take all of the versions of him <laughs> and then put them together, you end up with nothing <laughs> because they can If ca- everything can't, if all the rules cancel out all the other, pr- the other rules, yeah. then there is no care. It all cancels each other out and there is no character by the end. And yeah, uh, everything changes. I think the only thing that's consistent between everything I've seen is the cape. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we will try to get through how all of that happened, starting from the very beginning, we're really only going to get up to Evan watched the 66 Bonkers film. Yeah. We'll touch on leading up to Tim Burton's 89, but there are 13 feature length theatrical movies and we're really only going to hit one of them, two of them. Yeah. You know, it's so <laughs> all that, the rest of what most people know is coming in part two. So this is what nobody really is focused on. And personally, I, I am interested in what in the world happens between 66 and 89 in particular, because we've touched on a couple things uh, in this realm before. We've done some Justice League. We did J- Joker back of, you know, a couple years ago. Yeah. And I know a little bit more about the comic book you know, getting off the yeah. ground, the comic book scene getting off the ground. We did Stan Lee as well. But then I don't really know between the 66 film, which is kind of <laughs> codified Batman's TV show, Adam West, what we know. I don't really know what in the world was happening with the property between 66 yeah. and 89. So yeah. I'm excited to get into that, particularly <laughs> in this part. But first, we must start before that. Back to the 30s. Early, yeah. Superman popped on the scene. Action Comics, National Comics, which later came DC, needed superheroes. They said, they got them. We need them. First of all, the guy who gets his name on everything, Bob Kane, primarily responsible. Bill Finger was also involved, and there's a whole scandal around him not getting credit yeah, it just off the bat here, if this is news to you that one of the biggest characters, period, uh, ever created mm-hmm. was, had uh, a stolen credit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you didn't know that, there's a wonderful, wonderful Hulu documentary that came out in 2017 called Batman and Bill. Mm-hmm. It'll tell all of that story about how Bill Finger did not get his credit attributed to Batman all this time. And now it's uh, retroactively, they've gone back and, and restored that credit to everything. Yeah. Everything um, has been retroactively uh, had Bill Finger's name put on it. So it's a wonderful documentary. Highly recommend it. It's on Hulu. I'll put the link in the show notes. I, I glanced at it. We, we won't get too much then into how all that went to be. But needless to say, like you said, it really didn't come about until 2015 was when DC started putting his name back on things. It's shocking. I mean, yeah. it's absolutely wild to me. I didn't know anything about it until the uh, the documentary came out. When it came out, I watched it and was absolutely flabbergasted that this yeah. character I've known my entire existence. Actually, there is somebody else that is 
really uh, mm-hmm. responsible for just as much of him, yeah. uh, if not more. So yeah. it, it was it's pretty incredible. Yeah. So Bob Kane starting out, he gets the call, we want a Superman-esque person. So he calls him the Batman. So the the is there from the start, mm-hmm. which I think they're alluding to with the new one. Yes, that's in the new one. If you're looking at them in a list, it's the only way. <laughs> like right now, my tabs are Batman and Bill, Batman 1966 film, the Batman <laughs> yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's uh, the the start. He calls him the Batman, but a lot of pull from Superman. So he's got reddish tights, boots, no gloves. He's got a small, what they call domino mask, like the Incredibles characters have. Oh, yes. Interesting. uh, He's got these wings sticking out to look like bat wings. They said he was inspired by the ornithopter flyer of Da Vinci, the sketch he did of a a flapping wing kind of contraption. So more spindly bat. Not not a cape, even, from the start. I'm just imagining Edna walking through all the concepts for what a Batman <laughs> could be. And this could, is one of them. could look like. <laughs> yeah. So Bill Finger, then, is the one that makes all the suggestions to the costume that we know. Get rid of the red. Make it black and gray. Give him gloves. Make mm-hmm. it a cape. All the put, the... put the cowl. Bring in some of the noir elements mm-hmm. there, you know. To... Yeah. And then the cowl with the ears, which is the most iconic thing is Bill Finger's addition. Gosh. The other thing that he comes up with is the secret identity Bruce Wayne, which is based on historical characters that I didn't know about. So Bruce, the first name, comes from Robert Bruce, who is the Scottish patriot of the 1300s. He was alongside William Wallace. He was this medieval freedom fighter and then became the king of Scotland. And then the Wayne side of it, he was thinking, well, Wayne, he was trying to think of some sort of colonialist gentry alluded name. So he thought Adams, you know, like Revolutionary War, Jefferson okay. kind of names. There was this, uh, I don't know whether he was a general or colonel, but he went by Mad Anthony Wayne because he had this crazy temper. He fought in a lot of revolutionary battles in Pennsylvania. Okay, I like this. So that's like where this. he gets the last name Wayne from. It, it, it's cool that both parts. It wasn't just like, yeah. uh, sounds good. No, they're actually based on oh, I love that. varying historical characters for their attributes as well. I love that. Yeah. I, love, I love that. That's just, that's just well, well researched. <laughs> it has a reason. Uh, yeah. Just a feel mm, to it. Chef's kiss. It just, <laughs> mm, you have, you have a reason to exist. Mm-hmm. You have, you have purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the superhero influence stuff. Some we might know. There was a pulp character called the Shadow in the 1930s. This, okay. This is really the archetype of the superhero. It was started from a radio drama. He was just the mysterious narrator. And then he got his own radio drama Yes, where he was doing his own thing. And I believe for a time, a young, young Orson Welles was doing his voice. Really? Oh, wow. Part of his oeuvre. And when then when he moved on to newspaper comics and other things, he was depicted as this vigilante superhero clad in black operating after dark. I like it. The shadow. He's the true, true beginning of this. This is in the 1930s with that pulp noir. It reminds me of Zorro, you know, mm-hmm. the, the black shadow figure, the, yeah. the um, silhouette, yeah. you know, that's the, that's what, yeah. I, exactly. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm getting that, that reverberating back through through all of Definitely. The, uh, the visuals. So the, the film, The Mark of Zorro, came out in 1920, under mm. two decades before. And mm-hmm. in a lot of versions, it's the film his parents are seeing when then they go out and get shot in the alley. That's right. Although it's That's never, right. it's not mentioned in these early 
incarnations. They're just at a movie. I didn't mean to be so on point. <laughs> well, Bill, Bill Finger had said the Douglas Fairbanks version from the 1920s, you know, like you said, the costume yes. and the secret identity aspect of it was. Well, was th- when you were saying the elements that he brought into it and you bring up the shadow and Orson Welles radio play and how then how to move an entity into a physical and, you know, the rudimentary sense when we're thinking 1920s and 30s like this, that mm-hmm. was just the first image I had. That's that's time appropriate is exactly what you said. Yeah. That that depiction of Zorro, and that's immediately what came to to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got I got, hey, <laughs> this is why we do the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all swirling in there. And then two more things that were swirling that Bill Finger and Bob Kane directly said were uh, this film, The Bat Whispers, came out in mm-hmm. thirty. It is a sound picture, but it's black and white, and it is free on YouTube. I'll post a link. It okay. is notable filmically because it's one of the first pictures that was filmed in widescreen bizarre for 1930 really yeah <laughs> my god so it it has a lot in the frame and a lot of the camera work is rather revolutionary they did a lot of swooping through miniature sets or you know falling down the side of a building oh wow, yeah that kind of stuff is pretty wild for 1930 but the premise is oh it's, gosh, there's this yeah mysterious caped killer who's taking out people looking for this treasure in this old mansion. It's more of a horror whodunit, who's the killer trying to figure out in this group of people. But uh, they said, we saw that and thought, this is cool. <laughs> we want to we wanna pull oh, from this. I love this. that. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And then very last promise for their influences that really did tie in in a different way is The Phantom, which was this Daily newspaper comic superhero started in 1936, three years before, mm-hmm. and it's still running as of 2022. What? Which is wild. Really? Yeah. And the, oh my gosh, the thing that they pull that from, was one yeah. just beyond my reach when we were just talking about these early iterations and, and yeah. characters evolving and having pieces of each other. This was the one just beyond my reach. I couldn't remember his name. But yeah, he's I got did the, not know it was still running. Oh my gosh, the purple skin tight suit. If you've ever yeah. seen that, yeah, he's the first fictional hero to wear that skin tight costume because this is before Superman, and he's also in terms of the drawing of the character. He has a mask with no pupils. It's just the solid mm. white, which Batman mm-hmm. gives him this air of mystery. And the, but the big thing is he has no superpowers, so he relies on his intelligence and the myth of the fact that he is this forever living ghost, which Batman pulls a lot from, oh, this mythical non-human entity. He could keep living forever (laughs) secretly he's been passed down. And he's a symbol, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the preface for all this. This is all what they're swirling with influences even before Batman. He comes out in Detective Comics number 27. It's not his own original so it makes sense then that he's got this detective noir angle because he's a superhero-esque person. But in the if you were picking up detective comics, you'd be like, I want gangsters and gunfights and mystery and detectives. Gotcha. So you pick up detective comics and you're looking for Al Capone type, <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And okay. so the origin of him, he's originally introduced. He is a ruthless vigilante. He's killing people. He's maiming them. <laughs> It's very much in the style of the pulps, but he's got this costume and he's swinging through the skies and he's got this cape and a mask to fit in with the superhero trend that's coming about. Mm-hmm. So as far as all the little pieces, we'll start trickling them in where all this stuff is coming in, the elements that we know and love. Commissioner Gordon was in the very first one, number 27. 
Okay. So that's prime. That's always been there. Always been there. He's a pillar. <laughs> the police <laughs> element. He's a vigilante. Part of the foundation. Yeah. Of this story, folks. The utility belt, which we talked about with Justice League, Gardner Fox, who did all that, he was ghost uncredited with coming up with that. And that's two issues later in 29. Mm. And then the Batarang in 31, the origin of his parents getting shot was in 33, which, like I said, was written by Bill Finger. Mm -hmm. Robin was in 38. And this was almost even a storytelling device because Finger wanted sort of a Watson character that he could talk to because he's tired of having him just thinking in the bubbles. It's still mostly detective stuff. So you need somebody to riff off. Good to know because we might get to that here in a second though because that was one of the first images (laughs) in the 66 film as I immediately was like, let's explain their relationship. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) we'll get to that for sure. (laughs) Yes. But just know that it was almost a... That the, from Device. the need of yeah. it, yes, absolutely. The functionality of it is to get him to you know verbalize, <laughs> yeah. for the camera. Yeah. <laughs> the The very next year, he is when he gets his own solo line, just Batman, not affiliated with Detective Comics. Okay. And in the first okay. issue of that is when we get Joker and God. Yeah. Did Detective Comics feel a little empty after? <laughs> <laughs> So it's like you give up twenty something twenty something issues, yeah. and then you have this crazy character come in, and then people are interested in that, and you start following that <laughs> right. and start writing that, and then then it's so successful. It's like, well, yeah, let's make him his own thing. Yeah. So okay, then all that, then he leaves, and he's in his. Own That's thing. a great question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know much. I didn't follow. I literally stopped caring about Detective Comics the same. That's time. what I'm. Saying. Yeah, that's what I'm learning. I'm like for the first time. I'm, I'm like, well, what if I was a fan of Detective Comics? What was I going to, for? You know, what was I picking up the issue expecting? And it's like Al Capone, like yeah. you'll never catch me alive. You know, yeah. like I, okay, but then this. Whoa, this character <laughs> is coming in and he just like takes the spotlight, takes all the attention. It's like now we're learning about his parents and mm-hmm. like now he's going to boy wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he leaves and has his own thing. And I'm assuming that perhaps maybe he comes back to Detective I comics, think he but, does. Like, but... Also, maybe not much. Yeah. So, yeah. Just if you're a fan of Detective Comics, I know maybe you started something incredible, but that must have been a whirlwind of just, what is this? What's happening? This is also the time in the golden age where all the comic companies are trying everything. Yeah. So I'm sure that the audience is just going with it. But yeah, the the first issue of Batman by himself is where they introduce the Joker and Catwoman, staples Mm, mm -hmm. of the identity. This is also... It was supposed to be in Detective Comics, but then it got moved over to Batman, his original one. He shoots and kills some people. And this was the last time that happened because the new story editor, he was like, no, this is one of the rules. He can't kill or use a gun anymore. This is his own thing. So No more gun. No more bat gun. (laughs) As far as that, that element, people think, like you said, the cape. Oh, also, he doesn't kill anybody. That's his rule. But that's not true. For a year, he was killing people and getting away with it. Another uncredited ghost artist was this guy, Dick Sprang, and he, uncredited, was the original design of the Riddler when he starts popping up. Okay, And so already there's a billion names getting floated around and ghost names and whatever. It's like you can already see why there's so many modifications and alterations to his look. 
Because it's nobody's at this point. It's everyone's. <laughs> if you're in the room, you gotta you're like it's just as much yours, basically. How how Bob Kane was able to like consolidate that much name power, I'll have n- I n- will never understand how he was. I need to watch the documentary yeah. again because like I with how many people are responsible for what we think of on the outside we barely started this episode Uh, (laughs) like yeah like it's absolutely ridiculous that anybody almost thinks that they could put ownership to it because this is a hive mind of everybody creating something yeah that's bigger than them well just a tease from the documentary his father was a lawyer and so he got there you go. The contract that said my name on everything, no one else. He said something and everyone went like, that sounds, it sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so by 1942, with all these elements, basically the whole Batman shtick is established. The mythos is there. The costume, it's the blue gray. That's the go-to coloration. And that's what we're going with. Mm-hmm. This is this gets me to my tease at the beginning of World War II propaganda films, which I had no concept of being connected to the Batman property. Right. But this is the first film adaptation, which nobody what? knows about. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 1943, a year after they basically got down what they want him to be, there is a live action theatrical serial. So it's not technically a feature, but it was 15 parts, 15 to 20 minutes each that was put out weekly in theaters. That's two seasons of a show mm-hmm. on Netflix. Yeah. So uh basically it's propaganda because it you know, Batman, the censorship, he's not he can't be a vigilante, so he's a government backed World War II secret agent. Whoa. Stopping this very racist anti Japanese sentiment plot line. But there, it's horrible. There's ethnic slurs oh like the dub had to remove so much of the dialogue because it's oh, just no. horrible. The two things that came from this that then the comics stole back was the perception of Alfred. So before this, in the comics, Alfred was a clean-shaven, portly butler. And in this, the person they cast was a slim, mustachioed man. And so from then on, Alfred is the classic thin, mustachioed Alfred and not what they had been drawing before. Weird. Weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be the timbre of the whole episode is like, well, this guy was in that. And I guess we're starting to do that now and forgetting the rest. A bit of a Dali flavor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then also with all of this spying subterfuge, there's a element. He has a completely underground crime lab called the Bat's Cave, which then becomes the Bat Cave in the comics. No. Yeah. So, oh, wow. So this is the two things that get pulled out of this. This World War Lord. II thing. Yeah. Yeah. Lord. We had mentioned, maybe in the Justice League one, there was a psychiatrist. Now we're moving into the Silver Age stuff. Frederick Wortham had published this book called Seduction of the Innocent in 1954 asserting that kids are imitating these crimes in the comic books Hmm. and it's a blight on society kind of like the video games mortal Kombat thing (laughs) and he these are quotes from the book he was saying superman is a symbol of race superiority wonder woman is a lesbian recruiting poster and so of course now we get to the robin stuff batman has these homosexual overtones and they're Mm -hmm. portrayed as lovers this is one of the first fictional characters attacked for this is in 54 wow. with this. And so wow. this is starting to change some of the, the character qualities of him, right. more of the playboy 
lessening the allegations and pushing him towards romantic relationships. So Batwoman comes right. in in 56, Batgirl comes in in 61, Catwoman oh, gets updated and, and either subdued because of her sexual overtones or added in to say he has a sexual interest. With the updated Comics Code Authority and the changes post-World War II, the feel of comics is taking on right. a lighter, sillier tone. So this is where you get Ace the Bat Hound, his bat dog sidekick, because <laughs> Superman has Crypto the Super Dog, which my brother informed Lord. me that there's actually a film coming out in July with what? Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson voicing oh, God. the Bat Hound and the Super Dog. <laughs> oh, no. I said, why not? Uh, <laughs> but these things are coming yeah. about late 50s, early 60s, alongside the space race, culturally, the fear of communism within. So there's a ton of alien invasion movies, invasion of the body snatchers, right. all yep. this stuff is coming out. So there's more sci-fi oriented angles to Batman. This is where Mr. Freeze comes in. He's got mm. this science-y, mad yeah, scientist. Yeah, he looks like Disney World Right in '65, doesn't he? Yeah, um, he's weird. The uh, when does the show actually start? '66, so we're almost there. Oh, it is. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So with all of that, this looks like the death of this. '64 sales are in a free fall everywhere. All comics. DC is planning on killing it altogether. The editor of <laughs> this the, isn't yeah. going anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> where this is getting out of hand. The the editor. Of our Justice League episode, working with Gardner Fox, Julius yeah. Schwartz, he's assigned to Batman. And so, as you mentioned, Detective Comics, they put Batman back in there. There he goes. Yeah, in issue 327. And they. It, That's like, a why. Look, so he was in episode <laughs> 20, 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something. Okay, yeah. okay. See what I'm talking about? Yeah. So he comes back. You can't just use Detective <laughs> Comics when it's convenient yeah, yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Revitalized, big on the front cover. New look. They got a new artist, Carmine Infantino. This mm. is the start of the yellow circle on the chest. This ah. is the definition of Batman. They uh, get rid of all the space aliens and time travel and ace the Bat Hound. Oh, I'm wearing a Batman shirt. I'm wearing it on oh, really? my chest right now. I had no idea. <laughs> this is an accident. Complete, yeah. complete accident. So this is in 64 when that happens. Hilarious. Julia Schwartz and the new artist didn't really know the mythos, and they're trying to do something new. So Batman holds a group of criminals at gunpoint. And then they're like, oh, that's the fan reaction. And they rob him. <laughs> they're like, you can't do that. You can't threaten people with it. Batman doesn't do it. He hasn't done that for a while now. Uh, all right, everybody. Stop talking. Get in the corner. Yeah. Stop talking. Get on the floor. Yeah. So, the, so you can, again, it's chaos. The people making it don't even know what he's supposed to, uh, what, he, what he was before. It's just him, him like, just like doing like petty Petty robbery of like four people. <laughs> yeah, but he's he can't. Um, now here comes your favorite, the '66, the TV show. Okay, yeah, because I'm confused. Yeah, because <laughs> I watched this film and I was like, "Is this the? This is the beginning?" Because <laughs> I this has existed almost in a pillar in my mind. I've never seen this, but I've been more aware of the show. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. yeah. When it comes to this movie, I've seen things like the shark bit or the bomb bit. I didn't yeah. realize the shark bit is then the opening sequence of the <laughs> film, basically. Um, like, yeah, I I have trouble contextualizing this in the show because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I thought this was the capstone to the show, but it's really the kickoff. Basically, yeah. So how did this get going? An unlikely source, a 
now notorious film buff, Hugh Hefner, of all people, is where this starts. He was a big fan and screened all 15 chapters of the original serialized World War II one at the Playboy Mansion in in 64. He got copies of it. It was his thing. It got a lot of press that he was doing this. No, no, this could be something. It could be something, guys. Look, come on, look at it. So Columbia then re-releases this all put together as a marathon showing in theaters, an evening with Batman and Robin in in 64. Wow. This is big in college towns. You had hearkened to our James Bond episode. ABC is looking at the hip fun style of The Man from Uncle, which NBC is doing in 64. Mm-hmm. Wacky, zany, spy, globe-trotting stuff. Exotic. So they get the Batman license and they hand it over to producer William Dozier, who had never read the comics, takes a look at what had been going on with Astro Dog and <laughs> all, you know, all that. And after looking at them, he's like, we got to lose all the seriousness and make it campy. He even okay. he even becomes the uncredited narrator the from the show, the tune in tomorrow, same bat time, yes. same bat channel. He's all up in this. This made me interested in camp. Because it does tie into some other stuff with Batman as a concept. Well, this, when you say camp, yeah. this is what people think of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so camp, the origin, comes from a critique of homosexual or effeminate behavior hmm. from from century. So in 1870, there was a letter from the magistrate in London, and this is he describes illegal homosexual acts as camp undertakings. So if you're saying a movie's campy, you're just calling it gay. Well, that that the literally <laughs> like the first dictionary definition in the early 1900s yeah, yeah, yeah. was like ostentatious, exaggerated theatrical mannerisms of a man exhibiting such behavior. Like that Lord. is that is the direct one to one. It became part of the 1960s culture and aesthetics, and, it, and then it broadened to being sort of exaggerative or impertinent, uh-huh. like the questioning of the artsy aesthetics. Mm-hmm, in an mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exaggerated way. But yeah, this is- uh, Like seeing classical Disney villains you know, in the way yeah. that they're drawn and the way that they move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have those particular qualities that are- Yeah, queer-coded. Or, you <sighs> know, yep, a lot of people yes, put exactly. that in. Yeah, so yeah. the producer also said, it's the only situational comedy on air without a laugh track right now. Like it was supposed to be that because that's what he saw Batman was. And Adam West was also like, yeah, I knew I was getting into a farce. He was apparently the only person who could deliver the audition lines with a straight face. That's how (laughs) he got involved. It was super popular, ran for 120 episodes. The movie was supposed to come out first. You had alluded to that. like, Yeah, I'm I'm contextualized how this the movie and the show exist together because they I'm yeah. confused. They had pitched the movie to come out first to generate interest in the show, but it gotcha. wasn't a good proposition because it was so expensive and the way that the production cycles lined up, they just couldn't make it happen. Hmm. So the show the, the movie was shot slapdash, the script was written in 10 days. It was awful. Wow. And okay. it comes out in between the first and second season. Gotcha. In fact, a lot of the movie was designed to benefit the show so like there's a lot of vehicle usage there's helicopter the bat copter there's boating there's the bat cave you know that was used as a uh, device to get stock footage for the show for the second yeah. and third season <laughs> because they couldn't uh support or afford that 
I was I was first, watching yeah. it, wondering. I was like, so is this the same Batcave set from the <laughs> show, or is this a is is this the first iteration of this thing? And then they rebuilt this. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just in my own filmmaker mind when I'm looking at it. I'm like trying to understand where the image I'm looking at actually exists in time, and then try uh, bringing what I know as a filmmaker to it, yeah. being like, okay, so did the show come after this? Yeah, and did they recreate this? Is this the same set? Did they preserve it? Where was it at? <laughs> you know, all this. Yeah, I'm not sure about the cave. I know they did build a lot of stuff for the movie that then benefited the show later on. But it, I mean, yeah. it's smart producing. I mean, yeah. to be honest, no matter even if you're just trying to get the footage or if you're trying to actually fabric like okay now we have the car now we have yeah. some of these costumes we you know yeah all of that so it it exploded increased sales of the comic book brought elements of the show into the comic book alfred coming back in batgirl they're like oh that's what people like okay we're gonna throw all that back in there the show though only lasted three seasons was canceled in 68 the do- canceled yeah it was canceled. <laughs> what for low? Like it had low ratings. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Like people. I mean, things on TV? the dark mood of the Vietnam War is settling over. Oh people yeah, are not I guess interested. we're growing. We're maturing. We're, we're moving on. That's how fast. That's how fast we get. We. That's how fast culture matures. And also, <laughs> Batman is suiting the needs of the culture. And I was talking to my brother about it, and it's like Batman is deputized by the mayor in the show and the movie. Right. He is, but people have a grave distrust of authority. And right. you know, people in law enforcement roles. So, so it right. doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore for that purpose. I heard Commissioner Gordon is in cahoots with that bat. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's working with him. Yeah, this sounds like a crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's like the the bat phone then becomes this. Uh, it's like the crocodile in the sewers. Yeah, Batman. <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> but the the campy side of it. This is what people think superhero comic characters are. Then. You know, the right. bat, whatever, the bat shark repellent and like Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy from SpongeBob. It just gets mythologized. as like you're right. saying. It's like, oh, this was what Batman was for a lot of people, for most people, because it was such a splash culturally. Right. But the comics are in a decline. People aren't interested in this. This brings us to the dark roots starting to take hold in the Bronze Age. These two guys, Dennis O'Neill, the editor, and Neil Adams, they're trying to get back to what Kane and Finger were after, and they want to make it grimmer and darker. So this is all in the comics. Robin's in college. Batman is now working solo, back to the original before Robin came in. Mm-hmm. He's not in this mansion. He's got a penthouse in the Wayne building downtown. Hmm. Some of the elements that come in for the darker, grittier stuff. Joker is now a homicidal maniac again. They also add Ra's al Ghul as a new villain, which then okay. when you think about it, it's like, oh, Batman Begins, which we'll get to in the second part of this. But like, mm-hmm. he's he's also this revitalization of the darker sensibility. That makes sense. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Along with Lucius Fox, who is also part of the darker revitalization. Like, where was he uh-huh. in these other movies? Right. So- Fans liked it with the comics, but the sales just couldn't go up. Comics are slumping. It's at an all-time low in 85. What's going on film-wise in this span of time? This was what you were saying was you're like, what the heck happened between the 66 film and the 89 film? Yeah, the show and the 89 movie. Yeah. Um, I'm just like, I have no idea what, what who was trying to make anything happen with the property. So this was the most interesting part to me, a name that I had never heard of that most people don't talk about. And he's this hidden 
reason <laughs> kind of for all this. Because like I said, the comics are in decline. I want to yeah. know who to blame. <laughs> <laughs> so just in terms of what was what was in this film sphere, CBS had the rights and they wanted to do a Batman in outer space film. That was in the works. It would have been yeah. just like uh, what Austin Powers was getting at. In the, right, you know, parodying like, itself beyond. Space, yeah, like, yeah. Going to space and that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I see it. That's <laughs> not the most ridiculous thing that I've seen in a Batman piece of content. Yeah. It went nowhere, though. But our, <laughs> That's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> so let, it, let it die. Just yeah. want to say, yeah. not the, I, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but who doesn't see it? And our mystery man, Michael Uslan, his story bewildering to me. He's a comic book fan. This is what he starts out as. So in high school, oh, no. in high school, <laughs> he is when the 60s stuff is going on. He hates this portrayal in his teenage mm. years because he has been mm. reading the, the noir comics. He had 30,000 yeah. comics in his garage. His parents were Whoa. like, you can collect these as long as you read other things too. And so <laughs> he lives in New Jersey. He's just working class family. He goes to school at Indiana University. He's getting his law degree He's super in love with comics and comic books. Mm -hmm. He starts as while he's still a student there, gets in line with other departments and starts teaching a comic books as mythology course. He's the first wow. accredited course ever that takes comic books seriously as a literary medium. Wow. wow. While wow. he's also <laughs> and so his whole thing, he's like, I want to make a dark, serious version like the comics were in 39. Let me get back to this. I love this. His law degree pays off. He merges his passion with his full-time job as a production attorney and fights tooth and nail, acquires the rights in 79 with another co-producer. Now he wants to find a way to get what he wants. So he reaches out to Richard Maybaum, who we didn't mention him, but a huge uh, influence with James Bond. He did 13 of the Bond films. My God. Had a writing credit and had written eight Bond films by the time- Michael reaches out to him. Wow. Which okay. remember like the upward trajectory of Bond, boom, 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 boom. Like this is the yeah. guy that he wants. Although what's yes. interesting, back to our Bond thing, it's like Bond went campy. Bond lost all credibility. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly why I wanted to do this one because I knew that it and Bond had a lot just, you know, in terms of a, you know, a, a timeline. They look yeah. interestingly in what the character has gone through and through the culture, how the culture has changed and how it's pulled these characters yeah. in all these different directions. It's pulled them in similar directions. For sure. So Michael tries to get this writer. He's not interested. Michael keeps pitching this idea as not campy, Columbia, United Artists. Everybody's declining. He decides, I'm going to write a script on my own called Return of the Batman. Hmm. And try, you know, Superman came out the year before he got the rights. So people are looking at that too and being like, he's saving cats from trees. Why would we do a dark Batman? Right, right. It falls. I mean, this is 10 years, this random guy from New Jersey trying to get it made. Because in the world that he exists, they can't conceptualize anything that's not bright colors and zap. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. they just like that doesn't exist. Like what you just said, when we think about Superman, it's still bright. It's still cheery. It's still comic book in the, yeah. in the classic sense. In this world, what we now, decades and decades <laughs> later now, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> uh, what we now are, now we're like, oh God, superheroes are so gritty i'm tired you know i'm so tired of it like we're on the other end of how of this uh of this cycle that we've been on and he's at the beginning of it going like none of these none of these things can i relate to because they're not real 
Yeah. <laughs> so Michael Uslan is still involved, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to him when he comes back in in an important way. But other people are getting attached off and on with his idea, with sort of the Superman. Like, So for example, Tom Mankiewicz, who wrote Superman and five of the James Bond films, he wrote mm-hmm. a script in 83. And he even got concept art from one of the comic artists who were who was doing Batman in the really? 70s. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see that. So there's a lot of uh, other people coming on board and somewhat involved or adjacent to superheroes. Ivan Reitman was on it. Joe Dante was on it. Look how many people have an idea of what they think Batman is already. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think, I think, I think in our Ghostbusters episode, we said he passed on this to make it because Ghostbusters comes out in 84. I believe he did. Yeah. yeah. So go back and listen to that episode if you wanted how he didn't <laughs> start doing this. But yeah. Tom Mankiewicz's script was nine rewrites by nine different writers. God. It's not going anywhere. The savior of it all, coming back to the comics, who had been trying since the 70s, continually doing darker mm-hmm. stuff. There's a 1986 miniseries, limited series, not, not attached, called The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. Yeah. And this is what everybody knows is like, oh... It came out the same year as Watchmen, both inspired the the revolution of dark, gritty comic stuff. And this, again, happened because there was a new Batman editor who recruited Frank Miller, who was doing a darker version of Daredevil for Marvel, and they mm. came out with this thing. 55-year-old Batman coming out of his retirement in this punk dystopian future. Pretty interesting that it's like a... Like, oh, Batman was already over. Like, to instead of doing a reboot or a revitalizing of an origin, it's like, no, 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 he's old and done. He's just old, yeah. What would have happened if we kept writing him the way we were supposed to? <laughs> well, this is fascinating because I've been, I have a soapbox about just this period in, in American comic books and particularly Watchmen's place in it. Because yeah. Watchmen really, to me, seems like the end of american comic books in so many way i feel like we we have the what the 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 argument presented in it is so paralyzing in terms of what we can do with (laughs) superheroes past that point when i think that this comic book actually makes the point uh in another way is that you know we're, we're looking to where can a story like this actually fit and it's interesting that now we're pushing to him to be elderly you know and <laughs> and we're seeing that river we're seeing that trend now in film and those types of things but these things come out the exact same year and they they tell you exactly where the genre is at yeah um, that's interesting yeah that and i and i and i struggle to think that we really have moved anywhere substantially past the point really uh i i i still feel like we are arguing about it watchmen basically and every single piece of superhero content that comes out is it right are we wrong can superheroes also be bad you know so that's where i want to plug my hero academia was the (laughs) answer to that kind of thing it's i I just this is such an inflection moment for american comic books and what they're going to be from here on out what were they? What are they supposed to be? And what are they going to be? They're very, really interesting questions. And at this point, yeah, in 1985, uh, I don't know that I don't it's it's it is the inflection point, And I don't know that we've recovered in, in yeah. a lot of ways. It's uh, hard to separate Batman from it, because if you look at it's like they're all trying to go back to what he was originally. And then all the other, you know, the questions of like, is he doing the right thing? Is he really help? He's trying to revitalize Gotham. Like all of that was there from the beginning. It got lost, and they're trying to bring it back. Versus other superheroes, where it's like, 
those were never the questions that those superheroes yeah. were necessarily asking. So I think, we, at least with Batman, it's like he can't be separated from those problems yeah. and those questions. Like you're saying, germinates out to the rest of superheroes, but it is his identity. It is his relentless yeah. struggle to fix things, but can't, you know, like all, all the stuff. I th- I and I think what I draw down on in, in this in this interesting thing is the character of Bruce Wayne. I don't know if I necessarily see him in in real life as much as I feel like we we thought we did then. I mean, right. I, I feel like you play the Bruce Wayne character out in real life. Uh, he, I just don't. You know, Batman's not coming to save you. Uh, or it's like I, we're the, we're <laughs> we're questioning the idea of like, is there such a thing as an ethical billionaire, even if he dons exact, a cape that's, and this fights is what crime? I mean. Yeah, this is exactly what I mean. And I'm like, I'm I'm getting to the point where I'm like, oh man, if, are we just like just embracing billionaires and those types of things because we view them in this type of light, and so we start to not look at them to as being nefarious actors and that you know like has all this slipped bias basically since jurassic park was written Uh, (laughs) like have we been have we been conditioned to view these people as our friends when in all actuality they're the aggressors you know yeah that's where i'm like tony stark is a war criminal (laughs) that's kind of where i'm where i'm sitting at like oh my god have we been conditioned to misidentify the enemy there basically i don't know yeah it's don't follow me there, folks. I'm just, <laughs> well, with, I'm with, just like yeah. I'm like, what's what's responsible for everything now? Is it Batman? <laughs> Almost. We'll we'll see. With with <laughs> this coming out in '86, uh, just a plug. There's a two part animated film that came out in 2012, and then in 2013, that is the animated version of The Dark Knight Returns. That does a really good job. If you don't want to mm-hmm. seek out the comics, you'll get this narrative. And this is the first female Robin that kind of takes over the mantle of his retirement. It's all in there. I would, I would I recommend. remember that being advertised. Yeah. Now I actually am interested to get. Yeah, to not it. theatrical, but there, there's a billion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, animated, non-theatrical ones. Yeah. So this same year, another editor, Dennis O'Neill, comes back in, and he is going to revamp the Batman line. So Frank, he gets Frank Miller to do this year one storyline, which is in the comics. It's not an offshoot thing, but it's updating mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. origins. The Commissioner Gordon relationship, which was once really important, is now enhanced. And Batman is more inexperienced because they're rebooting. DC did a whole reboot thing with all the characters. And then in 88, Alan Moore's The Killing Joke single one-shot thing blew up. So that's the year before. This brings us to the 89 Batman. How this comes to be, Tim Burton takes over in 86, this idea for a Batman film which is the same year as the Dark Knight Returns comic book comes out. Interesting. Tim Burton is known, and this gave him guff, because he said he's not a comic book fan. Like, why would you start a comic book (laughs) movie if you don't read them? But he loved the Dark Knight Returns and the Killing Joke. This is what's in the zeitgeist now for comics. Mm -hmm. He hires a screenwriter to remove the camp from all the different million drafts that have been going around. Mm-hmm. Although it's not greenlit until the success of Beetlejuice in 88. Right. With that, Michael Keaton, he worked with, he was like, Michael Keaton can do this. He's got yeah. this obsessive quality. He can pull this off. He had done his first dramatic performance in 88. But when people heard that, they're like, Tim Burton, who did Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and Michael <laughs> Keaton, who's Mr. Mom and is a comedy <laughs> actor, this is going to be horrible. This is going to yeah. be the, sh- the 66 movie and show all over again. That's a that's an amazing way to look at it too because he, you know, Burton is coming out of out of school 
Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, as Beetlejuice is getting made and off the ground, they really, and you know, Michael Keaton is, is not established. It's kind of incredible that they actually got the job because they don't really, you know, they, they get the job basically because of the portfolio behind Burton and his style. Yeah. Uh, Disney was already after him to a certain extent, but uh, that's ultimately what gets it. And that has nothing to do with comic book, anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, he was not even in, he exactly, vocally that's was my point. That's my point is that, that somebody eventually saw that when bringing this style to this material was going to produce a result, unlike anything that we had ever seen before. And the problem with, Oh no, we can't, we're not going to send him to space because that's exactly like mm-hmm. everything we've seen before. That's why I can see it. Mm-hmm. Somebody was smart enough to go, Oh, this visual style, this aesthetic inclination matched up with this material and character that, is going to yield a result that's worth looking at. Definitely. And so with that, just one little tidbit as far as a Batman-ism, Keaton was concerned with the secret identity because they're doing this darker, realistic to a sense, you know, Mm -hmm. he was like, this doesn't make sense. People would know who he was. (laughs) So he was like, maybe he wears contact lenses to disguise, like, how am I going to do this? Eventually he settled on a performance move, which is when he's Batman, his voice is lowered and growlier, which then becomes that's, iconic in film version land, that that's what happens. Yeah, that sticks, actually. It's pretty impressive. I didn't realize that that kind of is is Keaton's, mm-hmm. you know, part, because West does not do anything like that. I think, I'm trying to think about Kilmer and Clooney, and we'll get into that yeah. stuff more next week, but I think they are a little bit more themselves, but, but we mm-hmm. obviously know that, that Christian Bale is... Full on, yeah. <laughs> such a defining aspect of that character, which yeah. has now de- redefined that character for an entire generation. That the voice thing is really coming straight out of Keaton's toolbox. Yeah, to flip the characters. But yeah, when when this came out, it was the top grossing film of the year and the fifth highest grossing film ever when it came out. Yeah, that, and again, not only to exemplify even further. This is proving that a superhero film can be done in a series. Again, removing all the camp. Now we're not so forgiving when it comes to effects and action sequences and those types of things. Yeah. When you compare the, the the first Superman and then 89 Batman, they look like they exist in different decades because they <laughs> right yeah um, but yeah it's the it's the but, um, the PG thirteen superhero. This is it. This is what what Burton and company brings to this proves to the industry that this is viable in a way never before conceived. Yeah. And not just viable for this character, this is viable for an entire genre. Yeah. This is the fallout of this because it's like, people are like, what is this movie? Why is a young children's beloved character dark and violent? Because they didn't know it as that if you weren't following along in the ups and downs of the comics. But it's like now everyone wants that. Right. Everyone wants the PG thirteen. Like the newest one is PG thirteen. People thought, oh, could it be R? You know, no, there's some R superhero movies, but that was never even a thought to say, oh, we're going to have a PG thirteen right. superhero movie. So right. that was one of the things that it did. Like you're saying, how did we get to this in the film world? Here's some of the things. So the merch and the hype insanity. This is maybe you might say like the first one where it's expected to be a hit. 
Right. Again, now let's contextualize it. So you have Jaws in 75, Star Wars in 77. We're we're on the, you know, we're building what the idea of the blockbuster is just barely within the decade Mm -hmm. going before this. So we're only getting now to the point, you know, like uh, Ghostbusters and those types of things that these these huge uh, multi uh, department uh, merchandise (laughs) retail rollouts, McDonald's tie in that kind of thing. This this is really it emerging and breathing for the first time. Yeah. And with Jaws and Star Wars and even Ghostbusters, we had talked about where the merch was a afterthought because they didn't know. Exactly. Now they this, now they know. Now they know to expect this. They know what is possible and they're trying to reach beyond that because they have learned through Jaws and Star Wars yeah. and all these other brands that have come around uh, what the what a spectacle can generate yeah, the, the, uh, and how to harness <laughs> that and what to, how to expect it. the batman logo in 89 it so six months before release they knew i mean you just slap that on it they have it they're like you will like this this Boom. will be a hit <laughs> insane marketing beforehand so over 750 million dollars in merchandise sold from oh. when they went <laughs> like in january like it came out in june and they started in january pumping <laughs> batman junk everywhere john oh my gosh a couple of the things that it did to the film industry and then superhero movies following onward the opening weekend being king so Mm. it was not always a given it was a marker but like that summer just weeks apart indiana jones and the last crusade broke records then ghostbusters 2 broke records then batman and that three days friday saturday sunday batman surpassed its budget by sunday so they said oh we can gauge the short-term profitability. Yeah. And then yeah. that became the only goal yeah. was the, <laughs> the opening weekend is king. It, it's the only thing that matters. It's the test of whether or not this worked when that wasn't really the case before this summer and specifically Batman when they said, oh, we knew this was going to be good and it made it back <laughs> in three days. Do you have the statistics of how long it stayed? I think so, it stayed in theaters for an, a, an insane amount of time. And I think it stayed at number one for quite a while. So that was what was interesting. And it's the opposite of what you'd think. It's the other thing that it did differently was mm. the home video release. So yes. I think it might, it maybe it stayed in, but I don't think it helped because this was less than five months after they were trying to hit the Christmas blitz and mm-hmm. get out the VHSs mm-hmm. to people. So this created. If I remember correctly, that the, the uh, it stayed in theaters all the way up until its home release, basically. <laughs> right, right. But it it basically killed the idea of a second run market, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. I think we talked. I mean, we talked about it before, but like these things. Were and now they're learning. And again, we have to contextualize this. We're we're getting home video for the first time. This is 1989. Yeah. VHS is really becoming a marketable thing where you can afford it and bring it home. We're understanding now that oh, if we put out the home video version too early, we undercut the second run, like you're saying there. So they're, they're learning all these things where now they understand the merchandising and they've got the, we're, they're mocking up the figures a few months and before, you know, all, all that stuff is working out. They're still, they're still understanding, well, wait, wait, if we, if we throw this out there too early, then we can't actually get more money on the back end <laughs> while it's still viable. Yeah. They're learning all of this 
with these types of giant rollout movies. Yeah, but then DVD. Yeah. This and this, I'm just as glad that we're talking about this <laughs> one because this is such an important movie, just in terms of the industry. Yeah, yeah. all these uh, pieces. And learning, yeah. learning how these massive spectacles come together. Learning how companies have learned how to piece these things together over the years. The missteps here. We're talking about one of the one of the missteps of this rollout. Well, they fixed that. One <laughs> <laughs> with the big thing, as you're saying, the franchise mentality. This is the ability to make big, quick money from a pre-existing property. It's like it's all preordained. Yeah. It's yeah. already there. Now we see it again and again and again. I'm trying to think of the one that uh, that really I think parallels it, not with so much. But this one, not this property has a lot leading up to 1989. But in terms of the timeline of it coming out, mm-hmm. having other pieces of material, and it being kind of a phenom- phenomenon at the exact same time as like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. is kind of coming to mind there when it, they have the comic book, they have the, the merch the cartoon <laughs> show, they have now the live action uh, movie came out in 1990. Uh, the sequel was on nine, I think just the next year or the year after yeah. that. So I'm, j- I'm trying to think in terms of like these spectacle these uh, man, these Hollywood manufacturer rollouts <laughs> of these things and the, yeah. and what they were learning from them and wh- how we ended up in this every week we're missing out on the biggest movie <laughs> you ever made <laughs> yeah like Transformers followed suit a lot of the eighties nostalgia exactly, stuff followed exactly. suit yeah so that that leads us to my my final point and tease for next week which is this mm. guy that I briefly mentioned the working class lawyer from New Jersey Michael the get your mountain of comic books out of my garage, (laughs) Michael. So I would call him, I saw this in an article, Batman's Batman. So he retains involvement. And I will explain this next week, but like he has been an executive producer on all Batman films, including Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, including the animated series in the 90s, including this just released 2022 film. He has his hand in everything thus far because he bought into it and was the comic book nerd in the garage. So- In 1989, this film just gets released. It's a huge success. He gets invited to an expensive New York lunch, pricey bottles of wine. It's a meeting Mm. with some guys from a publishing company that he hadn't heard of, or I guess he'd heard of it, but not many people had, called Marvel. And they're like, we like what you're doing. Mm. And that's all I'm going to say. Dang. You're going to have to pick that up in episode two next week, ladies and gentlemen. All the rest of the Batman junk. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, and really all the stuff that you probably thought we were going to talk about, <laughs> you know, the, all that stuff. So we really, we had to get this context and lead up into 1989 because what happens after 1989, not just to Batman, but to superheroes in general, a lot to cover. And I think that's going to be a beefy episode uh, to get into next week. Pulling all so, the pieces of the little snippets of everything that Batman Gra- latched on to what are some man we we uh we talked about a bunch of episodes <laughs> that you got to go back i mean we've we've covered a lot around batman but we've never actually taken on batman so i know that we mentioned you know obviously the justice league episode the stan lee episode we did joker back in 2019 when it came out um, look look at james bond for f- a similar film progression exactly. over time you mentioned my hero academia for a different superhero take we also did Watchmen, so oh, yeah. uh, go out and check that out. Uh, we did Watchmen when they did the HBO series out. I feel like there's one other really <laughs> good one that we mentioned that I'm forgetting now, but go through our episodes and check out some other, uh, maybe some... Uh, adjacent. Some, uh, periphery, yes, <laughs> uh, adjacent, some peripheral uh, information on this comic book road that we're trying to trace down. Yeah. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're interested in. Get in touch with us at pod on Instagram. 
And then if you wouldn't mind sharing an episode with a friend, this one or any other that you think someone would love, send it their way. If one of our titles makes you think of somebody, send them that episode. Give us a rating. That helps us out so much. You really don't know how much it helps us out. And we will catch you in part two next week. Mm